Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Assel, sitting here, as always, with Arthur Black. In New York City. We are sitting here in New York City. And uh, we've got a hell of a lineup of guests coming here in the next uh, month or so. And uh, starting with one of the uh, cooler ones, uh, an old friend of mine, Martin Kate. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Martin. Pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Pleasure What's to be up? here. How are you? How's things been going? Things have been great. You just flew in, as did we. I did, and boy, or might never mind. I'll let it go. <laughs> but yes, I did just fly in from from uh, the, the uh, drizzly confines of Portland, Oregon, and uh, after a lovely visit at uh, Holly Pele. So, for uh, those of you who don't know who Martin is, um, he is Tiki Guru. Owns. If you've been to a badass tiki bar in the country, he probably has something to do with it. Um, you're involved in which uh, places across the country now? For Tiki, it's Smuggler's Cove in San Francisco, Halepele, Portland, Oregon, Lost Lake, Chicago, Illinois, False Idol, San Diego, California. For Gin, so I like to say I'm having a, I'm in a loving, long-term committed marriage with rum, but I'm having a hot, slutty affair with Gin on the side, <laughs> and uh, that would be Whitechapel in San Francisco. There's definitely something really cool about hot and slutty. <laughs> um, you know, there's just it's something just very sexy about being dirty. Um, it's the words that come immediately to mind when you think gin. <laughs> uh, I didn't know you were involved in um, Holly Paley. Yeah. I, yeah, in what capacity? Um, the majority owner of Holly Paley. And uh, I've always been the co-owner from day one. Oh, um, shit. And but you just uh, recently took over as I, uh, I an operating over, partner, Yeah, I took right? over. Yeah, I became managing partner and majority owner. And uh, my partner went silent. And so, um, yeah, so now I'm kind of directing the beverage program, the food updates, and we've been had a great year updating. We spent a badoodle of money sending uh, top-notch customs, Notch, up to the bar to supercharge it a little bit, put in some new uh, uh, Tahitian Nihau panels over the ceiling, a bunch more lights from, I'll just keep shamelessly plugging some of my favorite artists, from Kahaka Lamps, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so we really got it kind of jazzed up. We blacked out the windows, finally, which was a, uh, a long-time project in the making. There was a long stories yeah. to why we never blacked out the windows, but just never worked out. Now uh, we've I went there out. for the first time uh, on Ed's recommendation, actually, during a Society of Wine Educators conference. Uh, it was like August or something last year. Uh-huh. And uh, knowing the exterior, very unassuming. You have no idea like what uh, kind of awesomeness you're about to walk into. Yeah. Um, but had, had some great drinks there. I think it was after like, I didn't really fly into town feeling that good because I've been traveling all summer. And then I got past my speaking engagements. We went to um, Holly Pele, and uh, about six cocktails in, I was like, yeah, I'm doing good now. <laughs> this has like, corrected everything. Yeah, I don't feel out of balance or sick or traveled or exhausted at all. This is magic of the exotic cocktail. It's a, right? it'll, it'll, it writes the ship. It's a, it's a, evens the keel. The, uh, yeah, we, um, um, it's a fun place. You know, it's a real nice... It's a neighborhood bar. It's quiet. With sort of a, um, uh, you know, it's fun because we have the sunken bar, which is a nice. Yeah, old, that, that's the, the first thing feature, I, which I is, think of when I think of yeah. going to Halle Pelly is you walk in and you're like, why are all the bartenders sitting exactly or standing three feet shorter than I yeah, am? Yeah, so all the bar stools are regular chairs. Right. And um, it's a uh, it's a very old fashioned thing, and, and uh, the, the for owner of that bar space originally was the guy who dug it out because he wanted to, to have that experience. It's got its pluses and minuses. Like, it's really comfy at the bar because you're in a regular chair and you get kind of yeah, comfortable. Yeah, it is very comfortable. You're eye-to-eye with the bartender. Um, problem is you can't really have standing guests because when people are standing behind you and you're not barstool height, you're oh, right. seated height, 
just kind of uncomfortable. Your people are kind of like everybody's junk is right next to your face. I'm enjoying my drink and I'm enjoying my drink, but there's all these guys right here and it's unpleasant. Kind of feel like balls are on my shoulder or something. Like, what? Does anyone else have that sort of kind of intuitive kind of feeling? It happens to Arthur at a lot of bars. Arthur and Alley Billy. Balls on my shoulder. I'm not the tallest man. Before we get ahead of ourselves, though, uh, yeah, we've gotten we've because, gone on an interesting tangent. <laughs> before we get ahead of ourselves, uh, we always ask everybody uh, as they join the show, uh, "What did you have to drink last night, Martin?" What did I have to drink last night? I had uh, a few exotic cocktails, several different rums, and a couple of uh, nice German dunkels at a German restaurant for dinner. You had the rum and the tropical cocktails at a German restaurant? No, no, I, had, I just had the beer, at the, I had the dunkel at the, uh, the, the, the German dark beers at the... Uh, it's like, man, you San Francisco guys have it it's all. so weird. Oh, no, it was a great German restaurant in Portland, yeah, but yeah. No, that's right, you were in Portland. That's uh, right. Yep, yep, so... I mean, you've been a busy guy, because you've also, in addition oh, to owning oh, all those restaurants... Oh, shit, time. oh, I forgot, yeah. God, what did I... Oh, I, as mentioned in our previous episode, um, we... Uh, yeah, you know what, now that I think about this, I don't even want to answer what I drank last night because I know how you're going to answer, you asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, I drank uh, yellow, pissy uh, domestic beer because I was at a, I went to a concert to go see uh, Anthrax and Havoc, um, oh, which yeah. was awesome. So you had, like, I just flat, had like flat, 4% alcohol, yellow, 3.5. like, giant, like, 48-ounce <laughs> cans that were hot, you know, yeah. by the time you got to the bottom, but... Uh, no, it was, a, it was a fucking awesome show, um, but I'll pass it to you because I know you want to talk about what you had last night because I wish I had some of that too. Yeah, so I actually, um, <laughs> I did have uh, some tea when I got home. Yeah, that's um, not what I'm referring to. I know, <laughs> but uh, I uh, had the the good fortune of uh, hanging out with some friends and pouring wine. It's uh, a pretty crazy high-end dinner. It was like a... Ten-course dinner at a local restaurant um, in Indy, privately owned by Ryan Nelson, uh, called Late Harvest. So it's a great place. Notice I didn't say account um, to go check out. Good job, it, man. I You're know. getting so much better. A year <laughs> and a half, and you finally started I calling us finally, people. Finally figured it out. But um, it was a, it was a dinner that was purchased by a wonderful, generous couple for Indianapolis uh, Zoo. We have a great zoo in Indianapolis. And they paid no less than 15 grand for uh, 10 courses nice. with um, a local collector providing the wine and myself trying to be somewhat entertaining. And um, you know, there was some fun stuff there. The, the highlight of the evening was a mid 19th century Coyote Port, nice. 1863. And it was, uh, it, it, was, it was actually remarkable. And I never really say that about too many wines because. I've been blessed to have so many awesome wines. It's it's rare that I get excited, but my so you posted that on Instagram uh, a little right. bit uh, shortly ago, um, and somebody commented like, "Is that an eight or is that supposed to be a nine? Right, right. That, that's got to be a mistake. It it's is like, in fact right, an eight. Eight, right? <laughs> this um, Civil War type type era wine, but. There was some other stuff. There's uh, 30-year-old vintages like Lafitte and Lievelos Cost. Lievelos Cost 86 was showing particularly well. 89 Grange was fun. Um, 62 Leroy, uh, a.k.a. Le Bois, uh, Le Romanet, um, was still structurally sound, um, but none of it stood even in the same arena same world as, as the mid-19th century port. It, it really deserved its healthy price tag that it, it fetched when it was purchased. So, um, oh, and I did 
swallow probably two and a half, three ounces of all of those wines. So For those following along that know that Arthur's abstaining right, at the moment. Right. I'm, I'm, I would technically call that dry. And uh, I spit the 1863 twice, and then I swallowed oh, it twice. So, I, I wouldn't have been able to spit that out. Yeah, yeah it, was, no. it was rough. I collect a lot of old ports, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's fun because they do have... Uh, it maintains structural integrity a lot port of times. Port evolves in a very, very unexpected way yeah. anyways with vintage port. They, they oftentimes at 30, 40, 50 years, well, the sugar resolves and they kind of start to taste like old claret, mm -hmm. um, you know, older Bordeaux and then Cabernet-based uh, blends. But this was, this was just concentration. And this wasn't, you know, like bottled in 1863. You know, this is Koyaita. This spent 150 years in barrel before it made it to bottle. <laughs> And uh, the producer was Taylor Flagate, and it was just layer upon layer of herbalness and pungence and funkiness, and then baklava and buttered uh, pastry dough and dates and tamarind and fig, and it, it was just fucking sinful. It was absolutely delicious. Awesome. So, um, yeah, and now you guys are sitting here drinking champagne. I got a goddamn soda with lime. Um, hey, man. That's my choice, and I, I think know. it's a good choice. I, know, I think I know, you're doing all right, man. I think you're doing all right. Yep. So, fighting the good fight. Well, let's jump into some of this, uh, the busiest man on the planet, busiest man in Tiki. Um, let me shout out some of the accolades, uh, some of the stuff that you've been doing, uh, which is real cool. Uh, you had an amazing book come out, was that last year or two years ago now? It came out in 2016. 16, all right, yeah. so technically two years. Uh -huh. um, also called Smoker's Cove, um, after your bar. And then um, we also, you've uh, got the gin bar, you've got several Tiki bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it in 2016 you were also uh, at tales named uh, best cocktail, best bar, cocktail america. bar in america that's awesome yep. um so i mean you haven't really been doing this nearly as long as a lot of the guys that like are reaching for those kind of accolades and so i'm just really fascinated like what was like your first job like first job ever period yeah job, first job, job ever like man junior high it's just like a, it's just like a recent like obsession of mine i'm like <laughs> because i think it's really like it shows just how uh, circuitous the, the the path is to where we end up from where we started. No, like I mean, I was in restaurants, but it was terrible. after college job. Yeah, yeah, or yeah or anything. Or where do we go? Where do we go? The resume is not that thrilling. I mean, but uh, <laughs> I, mean, I guess the very very first job I had was I worked at a I flip burgers at a at a at a at a tennis club during a summer in high school. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah, and I did a uh, I did a stint at a grocery store deli for a couple of summers. Um, College, I had weird random office jobs. I worked at a, I worked at a summer day camp for sort of celebrity children off of Mulholland Drive. Really? In, in, in Malibu. And yeah, that just uh, makes me want to slap somebody around. Oh, they were really, <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. We I had not never, children. Disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> we had to. They got they got McDonald's or Taco Bell every day, so we got delivered hundreds of bean burritos every day. It was, it was a weird job, anyway. Um, but a very nice day camp. Um, yeah, I bet. <laughs> Legitimate college jobs and things. I mean, I, I, I still cite the best job I ever had was a summer I spent working at a tobacconist in college and just selling cigars and and smoking everything in the shop for, you know, research and customer feedback purposes. Right on. So I'd say I, saw, I like, got started to work the spitty to make sure I could, you know, shoot, hit it, you know, with the little yeah, right, yeah. brass spittoon and, you know, and, and, and uh, <laughs> so I've been you know, trying all the snuff. I had every esoteric kind of product you can come up with. Oh, this is a really nice brand of snuff. And somehow <laughs> you're still alive. And somehow I'm still here. Um, 
but that was a uh, yeah college uh, love of, of of cigars, which I do still enjoy, but not as much. Um, but before you got into like owning tiki bars, born, like yeah. when you were, I mean, you had a job job. So real, real, real career prior to tiki was in transportation logistics, which oh wake up. Yeah, right, yeah, I was like, oh. Uh, was like, yeah, 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 there, there's some shit that's coming to mind there. Um, I'm trying to think of all the different instances in my life I've been pissed off at traffic and how I could point the finger at someone like you. <laughs> well, this was, I was a, uh, uh, basically a, a travel agent for international cargo, so container ship freight. So uh, I helped uh, book and arrange transportation for mostly American agricultural exports into containers. To so how do we draw the line from that? Into, into tiki in general, like, I mean, not necessarily opening your own bar, but, like, where does that, like, ignition of passion for tiki... There isn't much connection except no. for this. <laughs> except for this, in that, in that, when the first tiki bar I ever saw, I was in college. It was Trader Vic's in Washington, D.C., and it blew my mind. And I had this, you know, kind of transformative experience where I saw the place, and it's all in the book, available on Amazon. Um, Amazon, local booksellers, Powell's. Yeah, IndieBound <laughs> is a great place to get it from a local bookseller. Um, anyway, I, uh, I, I, I uh, fell in love with it, and we had a home tiki bar, and we became tiki sort of enthusiasts, met a lot of other people who fell in love with tiki in the sort of the nascent tiki community of the very late 90s and early 2000s. We put on tiki uh, bar crawls around the San Francisco Bay Area where we'd rent a bus and to take tiki people all over the place to what was left of old tiki bars and a handful of new things that had been trying to struggle to get started. And, and that was basically, you know, I had a home bar and had a total passion for trying to tuck into the drinks and figuring out what they're all made of. And so then the, you know, the flip side is I'm out on sales calls with these agricultural export accounts of mine and visiting them and, and uh, driving out to see them and then sitting there and talking to them about all these tiki bars I found, or these tiki mugs rather, that I found in thrift stores and watching them kind of either doze off or just look at me weirdly. The glazed like, eyes. Exactly, like, what the hell are you talking about? Who cares? I have almonds to ship to Kyoto. Can we talk about those? And I'd say, all right. So it's just a kind of the voice in your head where you're like, I think this is telling me something. It's all I talk about and it's all I think about is this. And I don't really give a rat's ass about what I'm doing. It's interesting, and it was sort of empirically interesting. It just wasn't interesting to do it every day. I, I, and so there's that kind of voice in my head. And then the last job I was in in transportation laid me off. And I said, this is time to make a change. It's time to make a life transition. So I decided to go ahead and have my midlife crisis early and uh, bounce into something else. Oh, we hope early. Well, I call it my, this is a, another esoteric reference, but I always call it my, my Richard Dreyfus mashed potato mountain moment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I mean. This means something. <laughs> this means something. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like that. And it was... Um, like everybody that listens to this show is, yeah. like, way too young to understand that reference. Go <laughs> watch Close Who's Encounters. Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. You mean Mr. Holland? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I love hearing about people who are passionate about what they do, and I, I love hearing about when people, like, find a passion and somehow are able to make it a revenue stream and you can basically, like, live what makes them happy, and that, you know, yep. that's definitely one key to, to happiness. And I understand uh, obsession with rum, or especially beverage flavor. I yep. mean, it's what I've, I've spent my, my whole life around. What I don't get are the people that are, like, passionate about shit that I just don't understand how you're passionate about. Like, sure. so, someone who has, like, a 19th century light bulb collection. Like, <laughs> where did that come from? Like, where did that like obsession with 
crap like widgets and no, I just I I just love 1980s toasters. I've taken, I've tried to I've tried to tell myself to you know not look look, look down on the uh, on the on the uh, the non rum well the whatever the uh, the I don't beanie baby collector because it's sort of like yeah you're kind of just a beanie baby collector with a funny shirt man. That's <laughs> it. It's not all that different. It's still an obsession. Look, look, look at all my pet rocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look at the 500 tiki mugs in my house. You know, falling over each other. It's one of those you know. It, Whenever, whatever it is that just strikes your fancy, and you can make something out of it, it's always, it's a real treat. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's something that I, I, I guess, I would call it. It's a, it's a privilege. That I mean, I consider myself very fortunate to make a living doing something that I, I really, really love, and it's, a, I consider, you know, uh, most most people don't get that chance, and so it is does feel special. I try to be very grateful for it. Rome um, seems very polarizing. Like you, either yeah. people don't get it at all, and. You know, the whole sweet rum or just, you know, you know, pale, you know, what, cheap rum, whatever. But, like, yeah, yeah. people that get into rum, I mean, it, it becomes a cultist sort of engendered passion people oh, yeah. running out for it and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. tiki in. I mean, I know just, I see Ed wear these silly-ass Hawaiian shirts all the time. Hey, keep your silliness to yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, um, yeah, when you, that's you, our next step with Arthur. We got him drinking rum and tiki now, and now we need to get him the Aloha shirts. That's yeah. next. It's time. It's, it's a, a slippery slope. It is a slippery slope. I'll tell you though, it is a uh, you know. Here, well, let me make this kind of comparison because I've mentioned it in the past. Is when you meet all these tiki people, you meet them from they come from all walks of life and all interests, and they and you meet them at we have these tiki conventions or these tiki events or you know these kind of big parties at hotels, tiki themed hotels like Tiki Oasis. And you meet all these people, and they've all come into it from different places, and it's kind of fascinating to see where they found it. A lot of people came into a lot of the early people came into it from punk scene uh, as a kind of because either through punk they found lounge <laughs> or they found oi, oi, oi people. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Well, it, was, uh, it was sort of an you know it was it was uh, sometimes it represented in some ways the uh, antithesis to some of the structure or strictures I guess of some of these scenes like you know when you go to. Uh, Viva Las Vegas and you're at a rockabilly party and your jeans aren't cuffed right and everyone shuns you and it's like at least I go to the tiki party and the shirt's okay you know it's all right <laughs> but you meet these people online and they're all sharing the passion hey I drove by this old apartment and it was crumbling into the ground but I saw the ruins of this old desiccated tiki out front I took a picture everyone goes ooh ooh look at that look at that and there's this kind of shared fascination and so you're on an online group and you're talking to all these people virtually and then you meet them at events the thing that's nice is all these folks typically enjoy things like alcoholic beverages and, <laughs> and bars. So you, it's, it's like you can meet any number of collectors or cult things or whatever online, but they don't always start from a basis of people who are, in most respects, inherently social. You know, like like I used to be on a I used to be on a, a really useful news group called uh, a really useful news group called like Vintage Sob Transmission Repair. You know where people were talking about. Uh, you know, there's a lot of tips about you know what was wrong with my with what was wrong I'm with five speed in, bit, my, in my old eighty sub. A little bit less sociable. Well, you know, I, I didn't have any compelling reason to get to know them. Right. You know, I don't right. really know. We have nothing in common other than the fact that we all have sobs. I mean, they need repaired. Yeah, you might you might be a Nazi child molester who happens to have a sob with a bum transmission. I don't know. In my book, but you're at least you, you did tell me how to you know fix that you know that uh, flywheel. You know, whatever it was like, whatever it is, it's that sense of you know. But these all, all people are like, hey, yeah, why don't you come to my place? Because we're making rum punch tonight. 
and I have a home tiki. So it's kind of like they're, they want to invite you into their homes, they want to share their experience, they right, want to be it, sociable. It's this, a great community. This home thing I find interesting because I, I find the culture of tiki interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and of course I find you know the, the byproducts of drinking, inebriation, fascinating. Yes. Um, you got to have some kind of horrible like home tiki get together nightmare story where like Someone's oh. wife drinks way too much tiki or, you know, like <laughs> the, the, some kind of drama happens because well, we're know, talking about I, rum. I think, of course, back in the early days when we were all kind of getting our feet wet and we all, and back, you know, they'd say, come over, we're having a tiki party. And, you know, a lot of times we didn't really know what we were doing back then, which meant, you know, you went and bought some sour mix or you bought some Malibu and you didn't know and you didn't care and you were kind of like, are you doing the right thing? Is this right? Because, of course, those of us who fell in love with what was left of tiki, you know, like the remnants the last reigning tiki bars, you know, it's not unfair to say that they aren't famous for their drinks, you know, in that they kind of gave up worrying about the freshest juices and the exact measurements and the highest quality spirits. You know, you go to a lot of places that are kind of down at heel. Like, I mean, I can say, and I hope this is not too insulting to its fans, but I think everybody would agree, Halakahiki in Chicago is one of the most beautiful bars you've ever seen, but they cannot make a drink. And that doesn't mean it's a bad place to visit. In fact, you know, you'd, you'd be a fool to bypass it because the art is remarkable and the atmosphere is remarkable. But like, oh my God, there's some bad drinks at that place. You know, <laughs> and I, you know, I hate to say it, but it's like right. they, you know, they, you know, there's some things they put creme de menthe in everything. Cool, of course, it's really weird. <laughs> so, but. You know, and a lot of the old places still do it well. You know, your Tiki Tea, your Mai Kai, of course, they're still doing it well. But it's just that sense of those of us who kind of, I don't want to be a, you know, the I was there first kind of guy, because I wasn't there first, but I was also, those of us who were there on the early days going to these places, we, you know, we, we, we drank these terrible drinks, and we liked it, God damn it, because it was, you know, that was what we had. That was all, there wasn't anything new or shiny or really outstanding tropical mixology most places you just went because you love the atmosphere first that was the priority there seems to be a very peculiar like mix of different demographics within the the rum patronage world like mm -hmm. you know people think about the islands you know and the sun mm -hmm. and beaches and tans and you two are some of the whitest motherfuckers i've ever seen <laughs> yeah. and you're both yeah, well, we're also i set fire in the sun actually um yeah. so <laughs> i was having a conversation with uh holden westland from tiki farm um that was probably about a year ago and uh we had never met in person yeah and obviously i sound like i'm 75 years old um but yeah. i'm not and he asked he actually ended up asking me on the phone how old are you and um I, I told him, you know, I'm 40 years old or 41 years old, and he was like, whoa, you're really on pushing the young side of the tiki oh, yeah. enthusiast. I'm like, oh, so yeah. I do want to point out that you having said that, not only are we some pale motherfuckers, <laughs> but we are definitely on the young edge of that demographic. Because, well, I mean, it skews definitely up into the 60s because a lot of those people that are, are that were around, you know, I mean, you know, they've gotten, gotten to be like my parents' age, you know, in their mid-60s. They remember the old school places in their heyday. They remember and the old school places when they were kids. Remember the original, right, the right. heyday, it was the, it was, the Tiki Bar was the domain of the greatest generation. It was right, folks right, who right. drank there in the 1950s. So our parents drank there when that, they were right, kids. Right. Now, the first wave... I don't know if they drank there when they were... Well, my mother did. A lot of underage service. Sorry, Mom. Uh, they, um... <laughs> They had a, um, 
you know, the first wave of the revivalists, the first people like people like Sven and, and Otto and 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 Jeff, you know, they're all in their 50s and 60s now. Um, they were the ones who started um, started uh, discovering it in the late 70s, rediscovering it in the late 70s and into the early 80s and stuff. And they were the ones who, you know, for them it was really this sense of a lost civilization. Maybe they had gone to a few places when they were kids, but for them it was a lot of just discovering the ruins or finding the old mugs in the thrift stops. Now, of course, you know, mugs and thrift stores are, you know, like a you know million to one shop. Back sure. in the day, you could find these $500 mugs at the back of the Goodwill for 25 cents fall in love with it so so after but, yeah. you amassed all of your mugs and your uh, you know yeah dicky paraphernalia and you've got your like badass home little bar mm -hmm. but you're still working in transportation yeah like how does that turn into i mean like so that, it turns into with the mashed potatoes right right when I this get, means something yes when it means something when i get laid off i i i um it's kind of a funny story um i get laid off from this one job and they and they as part of my severance package they give me a uh a therapy sessions <laughs> and it was, no. uh, oh yeah, yeah. Really? It, was, it was a therapist. I got offered this yeah. when I got laid off from a bank, and I was smiling when I got laid. I never told you that story. <laughs> I was smiling when I got laid off because um, I hated that job, and I couldn't wait to get laid off because I got a severance package. Right, right. And right. they said we have therapy sessions, and I said yeah. no, I'm fine. And they said no, we really think that you ought to take advantage of this. And I said no, honestly, I'm fine. And and the HR lady looked at me. She said. We've just never had anybody react this way before. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I assure you, I'm fine. I just That's need awesome. to know what's my last day here and what's the last day of my check. <laughs> so how many positions did you get? I, had about, I, had, I think I had six or ten, something like that. This was a, th a therapist. She was specialized in not just sort of therapy, but also in career counseling and helping you sort of negotiate and navigate transitions in your life. So I sat with her, and I met her, and I just, you know, I was just bawling my eyes. I was very therapeutic, and I told her about all the anxiety and how I had all these different, never felt like I was on the right track. I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. And I said to her, I said, you know, when I look at everything that I'm into, and I just read an interesting book about a completely unrelated subject, but it was an interesting book about a, a guy who built a car from scratch who was a reporter. And he said, he came to this realization doing this. He said, I've never been good at any one thing in my life. I'm a, he called himself a professional amateur. And that resonated with me. I said, I love that. I'm a professional amateur. And I told her this. I said, I'm good at a lot of things, and I'm great at nothing. So I don't have that one thing that's making me go, that's my future. I should be right. an orthodontist. That's my life's goal. Like, it, didn't, it didn't click. So I said, but, but when I look at I think about I, I'm good at sales, I'm good at customer service, I'm good at um, sort of, I had done a lot of theater, so I do, you know, I'm an actor, and I'm good at making presentations and talking, um, you know, and I have this home bar and all these things, and I said, I think I should open a tiki bar. I think I, it has all, I have all the requisite job skills to own and operate a bar like this. And she just got ashen, you know, and looked at me and said, oh, I, oh, 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 no, no, no. I I can't in good conscience recommend that you operate a, a bar. That sounds, you know, or something. And and she said, have you considered catering? Catering's nice. And I said, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, catering's nice. You're right. I'm not sure I'm excited by it, but I kind of thought about it. And anyway, 
it's been a long-standing family joke that I've never sent her any press clippings, but I always feel like I should sometimes. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. People like that that have those kind of jobs, it's horrible. I mean, people, people that will tend to, and I, you know, I get it. You're working with a lot of different people. Um, it's a, 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 you know, a meat factory where you get people in, you hear their story, you mm -hmm. stamp them, you get them out. But <clears throat> when I had a high school counselor that I, I, I did a lot of art when I was younger, mm -hmm. um, and always hung out like in the art department. Um, and I, 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 this cool school counselor was like, so you know, what do you want to be when you're older? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. He's like, well, you should like do some art because you're good at art. I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to. Yeah. He was like, no, really, like you could like, you could draw like anatomy and in, in, in books for people going to med school and, and they can make like $35,000. I'm looking, I'm like, well, way to go to you for just telling me to reach for the fucking ditch, you know? Like, don't roll back in, you know, like. Reaching you, for the ditch. You, that's a good expression. You do something that you can like do that. despite whether or not you have any interest in it and, and you know, hopefully you one day you'll make 35 grand a year and suck it. This is a, Actually, you reminded me of a good story with my high school career counselor because I had decided at the end of high school exactly what I wanted to do. Went to meet the career counselor with my mother, had not told my mother what I wanted to do, so it sprung it on her a little bit. So was this theater? Is, no, this wasn't theater. Um, I, uh, I said, I've given it a lot of thought, I've looked at a lot of options, and I want to be a funeral director. And, oh, um, man. And, and my um, mother was like, oh, I'm just loving God. the visual right now like of knowing like 2018 Martin Gate yeah, exactly. versus high school, like just showing up just in a Aloha I'm, shirt and a fez. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, well, I do look like Uncle Fester, so I mean, it's kind bereaved. of scary as a funeral director. Underneath your chairs, but I did actually, I went to the San Francisco College of Mortuary Science. You really did? I did. I went. Well, I, oh, I took a tour. I didn't okay, attend, okay, okay. But I did take a tour with the with the with the uh, vice principal or vice, whatever the woman who was in charge. She was terrific, and I took a tour, and I, and I was really impressed with it, and I was really into it. I was like, this is great. You learn everything. You learn accounting and finance and embalming and hair and makeup and, and like, <laughs> everything you need to be your own owner-operator of a, of a funeral home. And I thought, this is fantastic. And my mother just said, she said, I'll tell you what. She said, if you just go get a four-year degree at a university, and at the end of that, you still want to be a funeral director? Dynamite. <laughs> That's nice. fine. Please just get a BA. She said, please, just just get a BA. And I said, um, okay. So I got the BA. And every so often I sort of tease my mother and say, thinking about going back into mortuary sciences, mom. Still thinking about it. You need to be teasing that uh, counselor that told you don't open a bar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that... I mean, she did help me. Actually, I mean, that counselor did so help me sort of gel my feelings, you know, at least are kind of help kind of focus this realization that this is what I thought I should do. Was it the push against saying you should absolutely not do that and you being like, screw you, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you. No, it wasn't, I wasn't really that militant. I just felt like it was the sort of the process of talking it out where I said, you know what, this makes sense. I think I should be doing this. Well, the brain works in a weird way. It and I, I have to laugh because like just right before you said you look like Uncle Fester. Yeah. <laughs> so just after you mentioned being a funeral director, before you said Uncle Fester, I looked at you and I was like, all death, yeah. light bulbs. I just said something about light bulbs and Uncle Fester popped in my That's head. That's what it was. And, it, and then you just said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Know. And of course, you know, I, 
In high school, I was a little goth, which is probably part of the appeal. You of don't being say. A you don't say. <laughs> so it was a. Uh, He's dressed in much darker clothing than I've ever seen him in. No, no, I'm I'm in I'm in transport. I'm in my uh, air travel right, hoodie. Right, air you, travel hoodie. We all just landed. <laughs> yes. Although this is so, pretty much what I wear anyway. Exactly. <laughs> like we have that nice. Uh, we have that great sticker on our. Uh, you've probably seen it. Um, I'm looking at Ed's Slayer T-shirt. We have that sticker on our uh, on our hand towel. Dispenser oh, downstairs has employees oh, oh, Slayer into their arms before returning to work. Yes! <laughs> awesome. It is excellent. In case anyone was wondering why Martin and I get along so well. <laughs> I have one bartender who is a remorseless metalhead, and she loves, so every prep she comes in and she just takes out her iPhone and she puts on, she puts on Slayer, she puts on Megadeth, or she puts on, she just likes old school heavy metal, and yeah, she just, just headbangs while she cuts her limes. What was your first... <laughs> What was Smuggler Code? Was that the first? So the bar, for my first bar is called uh, Forbidden Island in Alameda, and it's just east of San Francisco. It's on a little island in the bay. And uh, it's the same island where they make St. George spirits and such. So I had um, just been laid off again, and I had a small sort of nest egg as a bit of an inheritance from my grandmother. And I told my mom, I said, I think I'm going to try to find some partners and go into a bar with this. And she said, well, they were kind of like, mm, well, they were a little wary, but they thought, well, he'll get back to transportation soon enough, he'll be okay. <laughs> so, so I, so I started, I met these two people who would become my business partners, these two brothers, and we started looking for a place, and we spent a long time looking for a place, and we could not find a bar or a venue that was really satisfying. What did you have trouble with the most? Was it like uh, the, the right well, look, the right feel, well, we, well, town? We, we fought a little bit about the city, but they really felt strongly about Alameda, and I eventually said, yeah, you know what, you're right, this is a good town, let's do it here. And we ended up like in negotiations for a space for like six months because the owner was a jackass, and he jerked us around for months. And I basically gave up. I kind of walked away from the guy, and I said, look, I, I, I don't see this happening. i got to get a job. I had already started, I'd worked at Beverages and More, which is a big liquor chain in California. I had my green polo shirt on and I was helping guests, customers right. out. And so I had this idea, I said, I'm going to go work for Trader Vic's. Like, that's the logical conclusion, because I thought what I, Trader Vic's global headquarters is in Marin County, just north of San Francisco, where I live. And I thought, this is perfect. I'll go work at the headquarters. I'll get involved in Tiki, but maybe I can be like on the logistics side because that's what I do, transportation. I could ship Tiki mugs and napkins and swizzle sticks to their locations. This was all in my mind. It didn't make any sense. But I knew Vic's granddaughter, Eve, who, was, uh, um, who worked there, and I met her, and I said, hey, is there a cool job at corporate headquarters? And she kind of chuckled and said, oh, yeah, corporate headquarters. Yeah, world headquarters, right. There's, there's six of us. You know, it's, it's in a room like, you know, 10 by 10 room. There's six of us. There's no, it's all decentralized. We, there's nothing. I said, oh, well, shit. I got kind of sad. She said, well, there's a bartending job open mm. in San Francisco, Trader Vic's. You want to do that? And I said, okay, that sounds good. I'll do that. So I started attending bar there. Another funny story because... With no bartending experience no, at this point. No, just a least, home bar. Just right. home bar guy, who, which means, as you know, you know, no. enthusiasm. Right? <laughs> right. It means enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> But that's, I was literally, he, I came in, I met the bar manager, a guy named Jim, and he said, uh, can I see your resume? And it sounds like an apocryphal tale, but it is true. I slid an eight and a half by 11 photograph of my home bar across the bar. And I said, I said, this is my resume. And he picked it up and he looked at it and he said, we can work with this. 
<laughs> and that, what I just said to you is not only the, exactly what happened, but the exact duration of the interview. That's it. That was, that was yeah. it. That's exactly it. We shook hands, and they said, this is great. No, we like having new blood. We can train from the start. I will um, agree with that, man. Yeah, 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 so. You don't have to deal with anybody else's bad and habits. Because Trader Vic's is real, was very proud of the fact that they used really, that they, they you know, everybody was German. Um, it's not so much that anyway, but that was a big thing. The trader himself had hired this guy, Hans Richter, because he loved how well run the German restaurants were of his branch. And Hans Richter was now the global CEO. So Hans Richter put all these Germans into all these roles. And so the assistant bar manager was this great German guy named Lars. And he was my direct supervisor. And he was sort of my trainer. And he was tough. And he was mean to me. And I hated him. And I love him now. <laughs> Because I have a much, the time and distance has given me a tremendous respect for the man, and uh, he's still in hospital. He's moved back to Germany. We we saw each other last year for drinks. It was great. What but was his name? His name is Lars Hildebrand, and he's the food and beverage director and catering manager for a very small boutique, uh, sort of eco hotel in the far northwestern corner of Germany. Um, but he's uh, he, he he drilled in some really rigorous behavioral patterns into me about you know cleanliness. Maintaining a good bar and good mise en place and just good service habits, and he was great. So I did that for about a year, and then um, my two partners came back and said we found a space, and that's when they they came back and they came into Trader Vic's one night and said I think we found a spot. So they kept on looking even though yeah you they kept they kept the hunt up. And I was sort of just became kind of peripheral. So in and out. If you find something right. great, but and that was it. And then uh, I ended up. Um, Poaching my bar manager and my lead bartender from Trader Vic's. So you didn't spend all of your nest egg on like crack or anything? There's nope. no, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't have even bought much crack. <laughs> it wasn't a big nest egg. <laughs> I would have bought a very limited amount of crack. So I'd rather blow my 10 yeah. bucks, guys. Yeah, and as sad as my mother was that I was using it on a tiki bar, I think she would have been sadder if I used it on crack. On crack. <laughs> Uh, That's what you spend with my mother's, the hierarchy. My, mother, my dead mother's retirement. <laughs> the mom's hierarchy of needs. Yes. Like, crack was two, <laughs> tiki bar was three. Yeah, it was about, <laughs> it wasn't far removed. Okay, so your first place, you, they came back to you, they found a space. Yeah, they found a space, we went into negotiations. It was really inexpensive, it was remarkable. Great building, purpose-built bar in 1951. Like, uh, just an old school, Nice thick walls, couldn't hear anything outside. Nice hidden entrance, freestanding bar, proper bar. And uh, it was a filthy, filthy dive bar um, that we gutted and, and turned into Forbidden Island. And so I was there from April of 06 until January of 09. So what year did Smuggler's Cove open? Fall of 09. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't realize it was that close. I, it knew, was it was, close. I knew it was close. It was pretty close. I had my final sort of falling out with my business partners at the end of 08, and, uh, went in, and, and so we separated by January of 09. Wow, I guess I didn't realize that we were in, in about the same year because mm -hmm. my first place opened uh, October of 08. Okay, okay, yeah. So we're like brothers, man. What? <laughs> This just happened. But, um, like, well, you took it to a whole other level when you opened Smugglers, like, not only with the drinks and, like, service style, but you have, like, a ridiculous rum collection over there as well. Biggest in America. 
and not all there. Yeah. Like, don't you have like a bunch of stuff offsite? Because oh, you have thousand, such limited like over a thousand more that I've never even brought into service. Wow, well, it's like yeah. uh, it's that, like are, that are offsite. Burn Steakhouse, where there's a an offsite space for all the burns. Yeah, no, it is. Um, they're not even. Yeah, they're not even listed. I just I just collect and hoard stuff going back as far as I can, including the oldest known bottle of rum in the world. It's in my storage unit right now. Which is what? Well, it was a sale that happened last year, at Christie's in in, uh, in London, and it was um, uh, they had about thirty bottles of rum that were bottled in the late 1700s. So 1780 Barbados rum. I see the look I'm getting from Arthur, but you nice. also have the. Do you have the only bottle? No, of, no, no. Uh, no, no, no like the, the United, were, it's probably the only bottle in the United States. Well, I was say, in addition, in the United States, do you also own the only existing bottle of uh, Ray Nephew, Nephew, 17 years? Yep. yep. Which, for those uh, people out there that are listening, wondering what the significance is, the significance is of yeah. that drink, uh, that's what it was called for in the uh, Trader Vic's original Mai Tai, original Mai tai. 1944. Yep. yep. It's, it's very Have you ever tried it? Nope. It's still sealed. Have you ever tried somebody else's bottle? No. <laughs> a funny story, of course, at the UK Rum Fest, there was a guy who showed up with, uh, there was a guy who showed up, and he said, I have six of them. And we said, six? That's insane. And he took it out, and he showed it to me. He had a, one, a couple in his bag. He said, look at this. And I said, oh, my God. And all my spidey senses just started tingling, and I went like, this is fucking fake. <laughs> like, the bottle shape was wrong. The label looked like a photocopy. Like, nothing was adding up. I was looking at this, and I was like, this is... And I said, okay. And I was trying to be polite. Right, yeah. I grabbed the show's organizer, Ian. I'm like, Ian, that dude's peddling fake bullshit, man. There's no way that's real. And he goes, wow. I said, well, the bottle's wrong. The label's wrong. It's a photocopy of a label. One guy who's a rum, rum nerd in, in the Bay Area, he looked at a close-up shot of the, his bottle, and he said... That's the exact same label. It was just a plain label that was on sale on eBay about a year ago. All the wrinkles and, nice. and, and creases, they're the same. And this guy got all defensive, and he said, no way, it's totally legit. And I found six of them, and he tried to sell one to, um, oh, what's his name, uh, Salvatore Calabrese in London, and said, you know, here, $35,000, you want one? And he said, eh, he called Ian, and he was like, don't buy it, I don't, something's wrong. And, and, and I was a little suspicious. I tasted it, and I was like, this tastes old, but this doesn't taste right. This isn't what I was expecting. And, and then uh, he showed it to Joy Spence from Appleton, who was there. And she just, like, she told me later, she's like, it just passed under my nose for one second. And I said, nope. <laughs> and I said, okay. So we didn't think much more of it. He kind of disappeared. And then about four months later, it, a report was in the Guardian in the UK that Scotland Yard was on the lookout for him because he oh, had been man. caught making fake vintage scotches and trying to pound off, like trying to sell vintage scot fake vintage scotches to Christie's auction house. And he's, he's to this day, he's literally on the run from Scotland Yard. <laughs> This guy. So anyway, it's a weird accolade, but I guess it's an yeah, accolade he's got. Cool, right? Scotland I'm on the run from Scotland Yard. Yeah, By exactly. the way, my life sucks now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what a, what a no, I was talking okay. to some people um, last week, and, and they were talking about your rum selection at Smoker's Cove, mm -hmm. and the one question that I got from like four different people were like. How do I find stuff like that? Like, I mean, there were a couple of guys that, like... Like, they, I'd tell you. They, I know, right? <laughs> and that's exactly what I said. I was like, he's not going to tell you how to find it. But, I mean, 
It's got to be a lot of work just hunting that stuff down in addition to, like, writing books and running five bars. And, I mean, I know, you like you said, you said you got a bottle it, it, from it Christie's. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten, a bottle from Christie's. I've gotten stuff from local estate sales. Um, I found things from various, yeah, European auctions, from various bottle collectors across the United States. So we don't sell all of it. And I mean, are uh, things easier now that you're like, Martin Kate? Like, you've got the best cocktail bar it, in America. It, it helps a little bit, yeah. Um, but... It's still a, uh, you know, even just getting the stuff locally is a, I don't want to, shouldn't dog on distributors right now, but even finding the stuff locally is a Now, we've talked about this before. It drives me crazy because when I find, when I'm looking through one of my distributors' portfolios and I find a really badass rum that's been buried back in the back. Yeah. And I'm like, why the hell didn't they come to me first? Because they know that I'm going to buy it. Yeah. Like, I'm an easy sale. I, I, I I find it endlessly baffling when... When a, when a sales rep sits there at a Monday sales meeting and goes, huh, expensive, esoteric, independent bottle of rum, who would buy that? Who, who, who? Can't think. And I just, like, so, and I hate it, you know, you, uh, I won't tirade about it, but it is a little <laughs> frustrating when you supply the distributor with their own skew. And here <laughs> right. it is for you. <laughs> the, the importer told me. Anyway. So, but yeah, but things come from a, num- a number of sources, and we try to be, you know, reasonably, you know, discreet about it. Is Ron Jeremy still selling his rum? He is. He is still selling he is. his rum. That is produced in Panama um, from well, you know Pilsa. What? Weirdly, he has some higher-end versions that are apparently okay. I saw that. Yeah, he put something else out that was like a blend of, like a, a, a sheer blend of really high-end things. I don't know if he d- doped it with sugar, but... I, I don't mean, know if I'm a... It, it, this is definitely so. This is a secondhand version of the story because yeah. I doubt that I'll ever have Carlos Esquivel like come in on the show yeah, or anything. Sure. But I was hanging out with Carlos Esquivel, who's um, um, one of the partners at Pilsa Rums in Panama mm-hmm. that makes that rum and Cana Brava and a couple other rums that some of our listeners might be familiar with. But we were uh, talking about boxing. Big boxing fan. Yeah. We were in Panama, Panama City. Oh, because they have the Duran. And right. Uh, right. So he was like, "Hey, let's. Uh, I got a surprise for you. Let's let's go have some drinks." So we went over to uh, this bar. I didn't even look at the name. Walked in and all and all the TVs in this bar are playing uh, old Roberto Duran fights. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Oh, right. He's Panamanian. I didn't even think about that." Right. And he goes, uh, "Yeah, yeah. He's usually here." And I'm like. Duran's usually here? Yeah. He's like, yeah. And then he looks across the bar. He's like, hey, Cholo. And then Duran's like, hey, Carlos. And they, like, yeah. come over. And we had to, like, sit and drink rum with Car- with, Dur- with, uh, yeah. with with Roberto Duran. But he was, like, already three-quarters of the way through a bottle. So he was, oh, so he he was, was already- feeling pretty good. <laughs> but so That's after awesome. he walked away, Carlos told me this story. He just swung at him. So Carlos, yeah, I know. No. Why just didn't see you? what happens. <laughs> Even in his 60s, no way, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we... Um, if he lays you out, it's a good story. Carlos told me the story, <laughs> and Carlos, if you're listening out there, please feel free to correct me, but th- I, this is related to me as it was laid yeah. by Carlos. Uh, so Pilsa produces the Roberto Duran rum and, in addition to the uh, Ronda Jeremy. And yeah. So um, Carlos had just done a U.S. tour um, with Ron Jeremy promoting the Ronda Jeremy. Yeah. Because back, or well, at some point they find out that, like, okay, oh, you make the Duran rum as well. And apparently Ron Jeremy is a big fan of Roberto Duran and boxing. So he said, when you get back to Panama, tell him that Ron Jeremy says hello. Okay. So he goes back and Carlos is in Tosca de Duran, uh, uh, Duran's bar. And he says, um, hey, your friend Ron 
says hello. And Duran's like, Ron, I don't, I, I don't know. What, what do you mean, Ron? He's like, oh, Ron Jeremy, you know, the porn star, uh, yeah. says, says hello. And apparently at this point, like, Duran was well, maybe even through a whole bottle of rum. <laughs> and, uh, and he's working the floor. I mean, he just, like, he walks around just talking to his customers. It's like a, it's like a sports bar, you know? Yeah. Um, it's real small. It's like any other, like, kind of local corner sports bar you would go to, a little Irish tavern, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was like, what? Ron Jeremy? And he starts freaking out. And Carlos said he went, he just disappeared. And he goes back in the office. Carlos said he looked up, and on all of the televisions in Tosca de Duran, he was playing old 70s porn with Ron, with Ron Jeremy. And Carlos was like, I had to run back to the office and tell him this is not appropriate. <laughs> and awesome. I guess uh, Duran was walking around to all of his customers. He's like, you see this guy on the TV? I know you this see this guy. guy? His dick's the size of my arm. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. I had a, oh, he's not a subtle guy. I did, um, you know, uh, I did a, uh, one of those spirited dinners at Tales of the Cocktail with Ron. And uh, that was a trip. I, Wayne Curtis and I did it together. And uh, it was with Ron Jeremy and, and several other Panamanian rums. And we did, it was a five-course meal. And we did, and I did the one with Ron to Jeremy. I made a drink called the, called the, uh, um, oh shit! What's it called? It's called the uh, Hedgehog's Dilemma. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> hedgehog's which Dilemma. Which is an expression because it's a uh, it's an expression yeah. in psychology. It's about because hedgehogs, in order to stay warm, cuddle with each other, but then they they hurt each other by the virtue of cuddling because they stab each other while they're cuddling to stay warm. So it's a sort of a it's an expression used in psychology about you know how being closer to someone might hurt you. Right. Um, interesting. So I, yeah, it's a fascinating it's a story, right? I don't think it meant anything to Ron that night, but I made it and I said, all right, Ron. And I did like I was doing a table side cart service of this drink in a punch bowl. And I went to his table and I laid it out for him. And I said, I said, here you go, Ron. This is a, a drink I invented for you. And like we had spec, uh, I had asked for zombie glasses specifically. I said, do you have nine and a half inch long zombie glasses? <laughs> <laughs> but. But I said, here is the rum. I made this with your rum. Here you go. And he ate it and he tasted it and he goes, wow. He goes, this tastes just like masturbating. <laughs> I, <laughs> you can read that in a number of ways. And I shuddered a little bit and then I moved. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. He came he through. He was a very nice man. He was really funny. He told lots of great corny jokes. Well, he's got no shortage Big, of stories. Yeah, and he's funny. He's got a, he's very obsessed with like, um, uh, help uh, spaying and neutering and helping shelter animals and all kinds of things. And he just, every time you talk to him, he'd say, like, well, about your film career? I don't talk. He said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a rum maker now. I'm not a, I'm not a, a rum maker. I'm not an actor anymore. I'm a rum maker now. Okay, rum. Put my yeah. name on the label. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same way that uh, Brad Pitt became a Vinerone when they bought that uh, Provence property for yeah. Rose. Sure. Well, watch how many of them decide that they're spirits makers now that Clooney's a billionaire. Right, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Much like the way that we decided we're podcasters. <laughs> okay. Making yep. the big bucks? Who's the sponsor? All right. Give me somebody out there. Where's you by Republic National. Republic okay. National. We <laughs> touched on this a little bit earlier. I'm not totally switching gears here, but it's something that I haven't had a chance to talk with you about because I haven't seen you for like a year and a mm -hmm. half. But um, you, you mentioned Tales of the Cocktail. Mm -hmm. um, so... Obviously, you know, Please like... Please don't ask me about those guys. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Um, so, 
we I often talk about uh, you know Mai Tai kind of being that bellwether drink when you go into a tiki bar it's a very good idea of like how the rest of the drinks are going to be so if you order a, a Mai Tai if it's shit just don't even bother ordering anything else on the menu because it's uh, especially for bartenders out there that understand what I'm talking about like you know if you go into a bar and you order a Manhattan and it's shit then there's no reason to order their signature drinks because if they don't know the basics and they definitely don't know how to riff on the basics mm. and at minimum, you should know how to make a solid Mai Tai if you're going into a tiki bar or anybody making t- tropical drinks. But we, the, kind of that, it's, it's a very debated drink. I can know, you know, it's often screwed up, and then the pedigree is always argued, like, mm-hmm. who came up with it first? But I think most of us have, have subscribed to that, like, Trader Vic Mai Tai. Yes. But you talked a little bit, I believe it was at Tales, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but yeah. about... Uh, so the spec calls for a Martinican rum, a Jamaican rum, orgeat, curacao, mint, lime, simple, or, right. you know, rock candy syrup, whatever. But it's the Martinican rum that I, I was really interested in you talking about because when we talk about Martinican rum, and, and for listeners to this episode, you would know exactly what we're talking about. We've had Ben Jones on the episode uh, or on the show twice uh, to talk about rum agricole, which is really equated highly with uh, Martinique. In these days, wow, they just dimmed the lights on us. This has got all romantic. This just, just turned into the sexy podcast. We have pink champagne. And, and they were just there. talking about Ron Jeremy. Now <laughs> comes the saxophone. <laughs> Those aren't pillows. <laughs> but, uh, no, I was really interested in that talk because yeah. you had some really interesting points. Because, again, when we talk in 2018 about Martinique and rum, we yeah. are thinking grassy, um, just super earthy, like that really giant expression of the terroir where it's grown, uh, yeah. where the sugar cane's grown and the rum's made, but uh, you had some interesting uh, comments about that. So, in, let me back up, because you, you, yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack in your question. <laughs> That's the Sorry. Kid, as the kids say, unpack. Um, oh, do they say that? Oh, shit. I, I guess so. Now I don't we're know. behind I don't know. We're behind I'm the times. Man, I'm a middle-aged man. I don't know anything. Here's a couple things. Number one, about the idea of, like, if they can't make a Mai Tai, the bar is, uh, you know, forget it. You have to, we always thought we had kind of won the war on the Mai Tai, at least in terms of bringing it back to its former glory. And I'll tell you, that battle is still waging. Oh, I man. mean, I still see new places, even new places that think that they're, you know, coming in with a tiki theme menu where these Mai Tais are guava and pineapple and orange and all these things. And you're like, what are you doing? This should be a finite story. So when you say about, no, I mean, no drink fell further. No drink fell, was more debased or fell further than the Mai Tai. You could, I mean, Mai Tais went down to just nothing. Like it was whatever was in front of the bartender's well, which would maybe sour mix, pineapple, orange juice, Myers's float, something like that. Something just completely divorced from the origin of the drink. So you have this problem. Now, the Manhattan never really faced that problem. You can go to a crappy dive bar and it's gonna be old bourbon, the vermouth's a million years old, they're gonna forget the bourbon, they're gonna forget the bitters, <laughs> they're gonna shake it, it's gonna have a pile of foam and a thousand ice chips. But it's still going to be identifiably a Manhattan, as terrible as it is, right? But the Mai Tai is completely off the rails sometimes. So the, 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 the ground that the Mai Tai had to make up is kind of dramatic. So that's part of step one. Um, um, number two, yeah, during my research, as I was fascinated by this idea of what were these rums and why did he do it, there's this long essay that Vic wrote when he was trying to defend the history of the Mai Tai, he kind of went through the whole history. It's called, this is this is document he wrote called Let's Set the Record Straight on the Mai Tai. And he talked about the evolution of the rums 
First was the Ray and Nephew 17, then he ran out of Ray and Nephew 17, then it was the Ray and Nephew 15, then pretty soon he puts Karuba in it, then he pretty soon puts Red Heart. He starts putting in these black Jamaican rums, which are these lightly aged but still funky rums, looking to kind of recapture that elusive flavor a little bit. But then he says, at one point, he suddenly just takes this right turn and he says, I'm going to put Martinique rum in because it had this wonderful nuttiness to it. And I thought, nuttiness? That's kind of a strange thing to say about Martinique rum because we think of Martinique rum as rum agricole. AOC Martinique rum agricole. Fresh pressed sugarcane juice rum. Well, it turns out you go and you look at Vic's rum list of what he carried and Don's, both of them. And they talk about their definition. Like, here's Don's list. Here's his yeah, Barbados, Jamaica, things like that. He says, Martinique rum. Don said, you know, neither is neither as light as the Barbadians nor as funky as the Jamaicans. And that's all he said. You know, like, oh, that's kind of vague. Then Vic says, Vic says, Martinique rum, uh, a lot of that pleasant burnt character and typically the same color as coffee. And you say, what? Martinique rum, the same color as coffee? Then you look at what Martinique rums he had. And every single Martinique rum he had was a molasses-based, heavily colored, Rum, not a rum agricole. There are no rum agricole brands, possible exception of Rum St. James on his menu, but even Rum St. James at points has made molasses rum. So when I saw that, I thought, now hold on, this makes perfect sense. Here was a company making, and the, 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 the descendant of all this, was, which is something he had on his menu today, is Rum Negrita, which is a Martinique molasses rum. It's funky, it's heavy bodied, the French mostly cook with it. And it's got a lot of it's got a lot of caramel color in it. It's dark. That's what he was playing with because he was looking for substitutes for some of his heavy black Jamaican rums like Karuba and Black Heart and Red Heart and things like this. These rums that are terribly popular anymore. So when I read that, I read, well, that's it. He never used Agricole in a Mai Tai. Hmm. I mean, so that, that made perfect sense to me. He didn't have, there wasn't any, because of course the agricole that they were making in France, they were sending back to Mother France. They were, they were sending to America the molasses, the, the cheap molasses mixer stuff and the really nice agricoles. Remember, until 1970, agricole didn't become the majority, the dominant form of rum in Martinique until the 1970s. It was still molasses rum produced in Martinique. And there's only one molasses distillery left in Martinique, but they're turning out big volume still because it's the last sugar refinery in Martinique. Every other cane, of, every other drop of sugar in Martinique is turning into agricole. So this all just made perfect sense to me. Now, the disclaimer, Ben Jones, if you're listening, the disclaimer to this is ben that... Ben doesn't listen to this crap. Ben doesn't listen to this crap. <laughs> but the disclaimer to this is that that original, that idea of half Jamaican, half agricole makes a delicious Mai Tai. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's fantastic. So even though I kind of feel like I've figured out that agricole was never really part of the Mai Tai, today when you make it with agricole, it's, by God, it doesn't make it bad. It makes it lovely. There's nothing wrong with it. So, you know, the... The, think of the Mai Tai the way you think of the margarita. The margarita is the most flawless vehicle for tequila because it's tequila's best friends. So it gets, you know, it's orange and, and lime and sugar, right? So lots of tequilas get along really well, work really well in margaritas because you're, 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 it's tequila, it's the, it's the perfect support vehicle for tequila, right? So 
And the Mai Tai in many ways is the perfect support vehicle for great rum because it is another, it's small amounts of little supporting elements. Almond goes great with rum. Lime and sugar are rum's all-time best friends as evidenced by the daiquiri, by punch, by you know grog, everything else. So as long as you put an interesting rum into a Mai Tai, you're probably gonna get a good drink. So having said that, like that's a long answer. Sorry. What's your no no no? Uh, how do you make your mai tai? Is it smugglers? The mai tai smugglers is based on. Because I mean, I've got my way of making it, but you know. Mai tai smugglers is based on my research and, and based on my influence on this one brand because it was when I looked at that list that Vic had said by the time he was revising and I knew he was using Martinique molasses rum and blended it with Jamaican rum. Uh, Denizen came to me, said we were looking to do something. And I told them this whole story, everything I just told you. And they said, it turns out we can get molasses-based, high ester, Martinique rum. What the Martinique, Mar, Mar, what they call Martinique rum grand arôme. It turns out we can get that from Sheer in the Netherlands. So they got some Martinique rum grand arôme, molasses-based Martinique rum, and some eight-year-old Jamaican rum, not camera where it is off, where it's from off the top of my head, but blended them. So basically they made what Vic called the second adjusted Mai Tai formula, AKA Mai Tai Mark III, and it's in a bottle and it's called Denizen Merchants Reserve. So that's what we use. That's fantastic, man. So that's, that to me is, and it's at the same proof, the correct proof, 43%. That Ray and Nephew 17 was at 43%. Um, so I think it touches, now, if you want to take that Merchants Reserve and mix it with another one, cool, do it, you know, but I mean, this, yeah. is where, this is your chance to have fun with, right. you know, where you play There's with the ability, drink. and that's why I really find... Just use rum with flavor. Use rum with character and body. With, that's about all. the yeah. rum world is yeah. that, like, you don't have to riff the fucking drinks in their entirety. Like, mm -hmm. let's switch out this. And like you said, Mai yeah. Tai is like adding pineapple and orange juice and fucking floating rum on top and yeah. grenadine and all this other shit. Yeah. It's like there's such a wide range of rums out there that'll completely change the, the character. Of that. Sure. Like, I mean, we make our Mai Tai entirely different than the way you do yours. Uh, well, we've well, been playing with it for years. Wrong. It is, it is. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're, we're using a, um, awesome. we're using a VSOP Martinique and rum along with sure. uh, Plantation OFTD. Sure. Um, well, but I'm going to argue about that. My face is on the bottle. Yeah, well, right, that's right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent choice, sir. We, we didn't talk too much about that. That's right. Your, your face is on that bottle. Uh, it is a rather interesting drawing of your face, though. It's a little, well, I think it's all right. It was actually, that was my idea. I said, I want, you guys should do the whole Wall Street Journal sort of illustrations of us, but not yeah, photographs, because we'll look really weird. It does lend a really nice uh, note to the Mai Tai, but you know, before yeah. we wrap up, why, why don't you speak a little bit about the OFTD? About I mean, OFTD? We, we did talk yeah. about it a little bit in a previous episode with uh, Alexander Gabriel. Okay. Um, but oh, we haven't... didn't even rehash it, but it was, <laughs> it was a... Um, but how did you get involved in it? I mean, oh, he called you up? I got the call from from Alexander. You know, he, you know, when the call comes in, the bat signal goes up. The, <laughs> the bat signal. Know, the, it's like the plantation logo in the sky. And you just, yeah, you know, sugar cane and stuff goes that up. Was a fun, that was a really fun experience, because he did just say, here's a bunch of guys, I think, who have respect about their knowledge of rum. And he said, come and meet me. And we met in this, the private dining room at, we met in the private dining room in the back of our nose in New Orleans during Tales. And we sat and we just, and we brainstormed. Because he just said, what are you missing? What do you want? What, what, what's, what big, big rum do you want? And he said, bring me stuff. Bring me something interesting. Jeff brought, which is now sadly gone, which breaks my heart. Uh, Jeff brought this terrific rum called Kahana Bay, which used to be the big Jamaican uh, black rum that they used at the Maikai for all their drinks, but you can't find it anymore. 
He brought a bottle of that to give to Alexander to play around with. He said, this is what I love and want to see. And I said, that, that's awesome. And I brought a 1955 bottling of Lemonheart 150, 151 and said, play with this. Take it back, throw it in the gas chromatographer, and, you know, see what you find. Um, so we all just kind of had feedback, and we tasted a bunch of samples, and we just kind of mixed around, and it was really fun. One of their, one of their sales reps, um, uh, Michael, was in there, who's my sales rep, and they said, take some of these blends that the guys like and make, make Mai Tais for everybody. And he was like, you could see the, you know, the, the pee stain running down his left leg. Because he was like, <laughs> you just asked me to make Mai Tais for, for Jeff Berry, Martin Kate, Paul McGee, Dave Wondrich, <laughs> Scotty Shooter, you know, Paul McFadden. He was like, uh, okay, this will go great. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, the, um, that, you know, that does remind me, Arthur, you probably remember this. I, I don't know, we were all drinking pretty heavily. We were in Miami a couple years ago. I mean, we were at uh, Broken Shaker at 27. Yeah. And you were out, I think, with Brian Davis and Arthur and maybe was, and maybe Chris Coy. Yeah, there were a few about, of us hanging on yeah. the balcony. And I was inside. I was like, on that roof deck uh, yeah, room yeah. bar in Miami Beach. I can't right. remember why my And we were with um, Suzanne Long and Rebecca. Uh, Your wife was in with us. Rebecca um, was with you? I yeah, dumped her well, somewhere? Well, at this point, just like for a second. Like, <laughs> okay. And it was like uh, myself, Matt Petrick, yeah. uh, Cocktail Wonk, again, also yep. previous guest. Uh, his wife, Suzanne Long, was with us. And we, we'd all gone up to the bar, and we ordered a round of Mai Tais. Yeah. And um, the, the guy was like, all right, man, all right, we got you, we got you. Five Mai Tais, got it. And then you came in, and you said, what are we drinking, guys? And we're like, well, we already got a round of Mai Tais coming. And you went to the bartender, like, hey, yeah, I'll, uh, one more. Yeah. And the guy goes, all right, man, you got it. And then um, I remember about 15 seconds later, I think he realized <laughs> you were Martin Gate. And then all of a sudden, you got a little bit shakier making those Mai Tais <laughs> for us. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny, man. This is a... I don't, I, I don't know. I just I don't view you as, like, the intimidating guy because I've known you. No, and I don't, you know... To me, you're not the guy in the book or the guy in the bottle. Well, it's really... It's, it's extremely kind when people say stuff like that and it's, 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 it's weird it's cute and, and sweet it, well almost. it's really flattering and it's really kind and I, and I just but it is like a, a sense of you know when I go to bars and sometimes I'll go to a bar and I'll say and I'll and I'll someone will say oh you went and checked out that new bar I said yeah how was it I said that's not very good you know the service wasn't too hot and the drinks were sort of so-so or something and they'll say well didn't they know who you are? Who you were? And I said, I don't fucking walk in and announce it. <laughs> right, right, right. Who would do that? No, we're like, in a badge. I, I never walk in and say, do you know who I am? You know, like, I just, I walk in. And to me, it's critically important to walk in and just be a guest. And well, just see how it goes. Like, because, well, who the fuck am I? Yeah. It's like, because at the end of the day, we yeah. all still, like, serve alcohol and food for a living. Yeah. You know, we're not curing cancer. No, mm-hmm. no. And that's a very, very valid point. No, it's true. But it's just like, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to talk to people who say who they are when they walk into a bar. No, I think they that's suck. weird. Yeah. I think uh, they like, do you know who I am? I'm like, no, I don't <laughs> fucking know who you are. And that's Arthur's modus operandi. Yeah. You don't know who I am? I'm Arthur Black, motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's exactly what I sound like. <laughs> the people that like, well, who, who would do that? Like, yeah, I know. Well, uh, unfortunately, hi, apparently was, a lot of people do that. Uh, apparently. Uh, yeah, they're usually me, food writers. It yeah. reminds me of uh, again, <laughs> no comment. South Park and all their brilliance when they made fun of the Yelp episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and Get the fuck out! They're, they're all going up, uh, yes, I'm a, a food critic with Yelp, and like, <laughs> taking note whether or not they're getting like the best lit booth spots, and, you know, no, like, that's what you should ask is one of your regular questions. It's like, who's got a good Yelp story? Oh, everyone's man. got a good one, and 
Um, so give me a, it. Give it. You know what? Oh, yeah, it's a new tradition right now. Like, You've got to have a favorite one. I have a couple favorites. I, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't read it because um, I don't, I don't. Uh, well, I've had some pink champagne. I can say it. I don't, I don't believe philosophically in the platform. I, I don't Fundamentally, either. it has a is is structurally doesn't work. So, but I had a, um, I had a. Uh, it was a Saturday night at the Cove. It was slammed. We had 40 people outside waiting to get in. And a party bus pulls up. There's like 50 people, you know, 50-person party bus. And they get out. And I said, ah, oh, shit, all right. So I walk up, and the first couple folks get off. And I say, hey, 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 folks. I said, so what's up? And they said, oh, we're coming in for a party. I said, look, I got to tell you, it's Saturday. It's 9 o'clock, and we're, I'm sorry, we're just full. I mean, I don't think you're going to have a very good time. We, we only let people in based on occupancy, you know, two in, two out. I mean, if you want, all 50 of you want to stand in line, but it's cold and you're not going to have any fun. You should go to a bar that has room. I mean, your buses are capacity, you know? And they said, but we called. We called. We called. We talked to somebody and they said they were going to save space for us. I said, no, I'm sorry. We did not get any kind of call and we would have never agreed on a Saturday at 9 o'clock to take a party bus. I'm sorry. And she said, this is absolutely outrageous. I want to speak to the manager. I said, okay, one second. How can I help you? <laughs> You're like, hold on. <laughs> one sec. Turn I paused. I looked around. up and I said, yeah. How can I help you? And she goes, ah, I guess you think that's pretty funny. Can I talk to the owner? I said, sure, one thing. One sec. How can I help you? <laughs> and she goes, and she goes, this is our, I said, I, I said, I promise you we would have never made this promise. We would have never agreed to this and we would have never said this was okay. We just simply can't accommodate you. It's not, we, I would love it if, if we were empty. I'd, be, I'd say, yes, get in here. Happy to have you. And then this guy sort of pushes between these two women, this big puffing his chest out. And a total prick. And he pushes these two women aside and he goes, uh, ladies, I'll handle this. And I, I go, oh, oh, okay. Okay, buddy. Let's see. And he comes up and he says, uh, I'm an elite yelper. And I said, <laughs> I, just, I just looked at him. I said, man, the bar's still full. It doesn't make any difference. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, my God. I didn't realize you had a lead status, sir. Right uh, this way. Oh, shoot, an elite number. Oh, I'm my God. Platinum status, Yelp. Yeah. Um, oh, exactly. man. <laughs> Which means I have extraordinarily way too much time on my hands and no taste at all. Yes, exactly. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, that is amazing. Well, Martin, yeah. this has been awesome, but before wow. we before we part ways, yes. we need a piece of advice from you. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, uh, we're working on a standing collection of uh, different ways to recover from a night of strong irrigation. Oh, so what, yes. uh, what kind of... Uh, We've been working on this for uh, well, a year and a half. Okay. We've almost got a book, man. We're going to be up there with you. Tips. Hangover tips. Cure. Awesome, okay. Um, well, the truth is boring, so we won't say that. Um, yeah, don't drink. We already heard that one. Sleep. Um, but it's boring. So, all right, how do you make it work? Um, let's see. My favorites are... <laughs> ready? It's exotic. Ibuprofen. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I like... Um, uh, sometimes, usually, bitters. Uh, but greasy food, for sure. Uh, greasy food, and uh, I'll say it because again, you plied me with champagne. If you can, I find that it helps. If you have the means and the availability, I recommend sex. 
<laughs> if you, if you don't, have the means. If you don't have If you don't have the means, you, please don't, because it's a crime. Yeah, otherwise, yes, that's a crime. Um, so by means, yeah, is that like company or is that like enough money? Like No, no, not money. No, I just mean that there's if you have an available, available, willing, and happy partner. <laughs> if there's an agreeable orifice in proximity. <laughs> if you don't, I will actually go ahead and recommend masturbation as a very satisfying I was leading to it. I was like, you know, I was like, if you have hands, you're qualified for the hammer for This is the worst session I've ever made. That is the first jerk-off recommendation we've But it is not the first time that somebody says the worst decision they ever made coming on our podcast. And I will say in total fairness, I actually read the jerk-off recommendation in a great guide of hangover remedies, and I said, you know what, that's right. And so I can't say I was the first to suggest it by any means, but I believe it does help. Sure, yeah. it always does. It's tried and true. It's tried and true. It's time honored. <laughs> but Rebecca's like, oh, oh really? You're hungover again. Go into the bathroom. Not this is a live broadcast. But when she does hear it, she's going to say, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Just leave it alone. God, he's disappointing. I send him to New York on his own and look what happens. Rebecca, we miss you. I asked, I asked a couple hours ago if you were here. I, I just found out that you're doing a bunch of end of year paperwork. So uh, hopefully we get to hang again soon. But uh, hey, gentlemen, this has been awesome. Um, I wish we could sit and do this for hours more, man, because it's always yeah, great. As it it's stands, a- you still need a good editor in here. We've been rambling. <laughs> yeah, totally. Do you have social media that we can uh, drop that oh, people sure. can follow you? Sure. So let's see. It's uh, at Smugglers Cove SF. It's at Holly Pele. It's at False Idol SD. At, oh, my God, my social media maven. Peggy's going to get mad. I'm going to forget things. Uh, I'm sorry, Peggy. Um, at Smugglers Cove SF is also Twitter. Facebook.com forward slash Smugglers Cove SF. Uh... Yeah, that's enough, I think, for right now. And as always, Lost you know, has a great has a great Instagram feed. Oh, too. they do. Absolutely yeah. fantastic Instagram feed. Really and uh, Martin's book, Smokers Goes, available coast to coast, all over the world. You can find it wherever you find your books. Soon to be translated into Italian. Fantastic. Yes. Very exciting. Well, looking forward to it. Thank you again, Martin. We will see you again soon. Cheers. Cheers. Thank, Thank you, gentlemen. gentlemen.